0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 279 Preview Show. My name is Carl Beamage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Miss Peel to my steed. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Always glad to be here with the Joseph Gribble to my Bobby Hill, the Sheriff Truman to my Dale Cooper. Ah, Twin Peaks
0: reference. I like it.
1: One of my favorite shows.
0: Yeah, I never actually got into it when it was uh, first on. Uh, I know, obviously, they did the remake a few years ago. Wasn't Bisping in that?
1: Bisping is in the remake, uh, in the, the return. Uh, I got into it around 2013 on Netflix or so, and I've you know just been a fan hardcore ever since. Yeah.
0: I was thinking, you know, if we ever need some sort of filler content on INC Live,
1: we'd get you watching some, like, MMA movies. Oh, there's a thousands of bad ones, and I hope someone picks Warrior because I love that movie. That's the best one. I mean, put it
0: this way, when Bruised is number two, we've got problems.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, The Warrior is the closest thing we have to our Rocky, and I love that movie. So uh, I will definitely do an audio commentary on that if I have to.
0: (laughs) We could go Siskel and Ebert for the next hour and a bit, but we're here to talk about USC 279, um, a card which... I think it's safe to say, Joe, in terms of the main event, in terms of the prelims, it's safe to say it's one which has divided a lot of opinion. I know a lot of people who are very excited for this one, understandably, and a lot of people who think maybe a little bit redundant.
1: It's a weird card. You have two big personalities and certified draws, or at least one guaranteed draw in the main event scene, and one super potential draw. But everything else is weird, like when the other two big, interesting matchmaking choices is someone who's finally making their UFC debut on the prelims and then a fight that was announced like two weeks ago, it's it's a little off for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, we've been speaking about this quite vocally on all of our social media pages. If you want to get in touch to see what I'm being rambling on about, you can do so at twitter.com forward slash iNCageFighting. And if you love the channel enough that you're willing to donate money, it's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. We're going to try to utilize a bit more exclusive content on the Patreon page over the next couple of months. Joe, you also have your own social media. Where's the best place to contact you?
1: Uh, it's Twitter right now. Uh, I've uh, got some decent ramblings on there. Trying to tweet more, be a little more active. But soon, it's not yet. But soon, I will be on Twitch. I will try to stream a little bit, like semi regularly, just to get something going.
0: You can maybe be like the V one of this team. So like you streaming like classic events and talking over them, that sort of thing.
1: Exactly. I'll I'll play. I'll even play the the bad recent UFC games uh, with custom characters, just like V one does.
0: Yeah, I think I created like Maria Sharapova on one of the um, when he had that whole content creation thing. It was fantastic. Like six foot two straw, she just beat everyone easy. <laughs> she yeah, she
1: would be a strawweight, wouldn't she? Yeah.
0: So there you go, career choice, Maria. Now you've retired. We could be talking about this all day, though. We're here to talk about mixed martial arts. Before we get into UFC 279, though, we need to discuss the fallout from our previous event, UFC 278. You, on the show, you predicted Leon Edwards would beat Kamara Usman.
1: Did you see it happening the way it did? Not at all. Um, I don't think anyone could have predicted that. That I don't. I'm not. I don't want to say it's the best KO ever. The best head kick KO ever like we want to jump on it there's been hundreds and hundreds of head kicks that i could think of that elicit the same feelings in me but there is something insane about that comeback uh i that's not to take it away from that it, it was it was fantastic and I, it felt so good to be right even though i was right in the worst way
0: uh because it was just considering the flaw of the fight like Leon had a fantastic first round, and a lot of people are going to forget that when they try and tell the narrative of the story in, say, five or six or seven months. But everything was going the way of Usman. It looked like he was coursing towards another title defense. That head kick out of nowhere. Now, Leon has had a history of dropping people with head kicks. We saw that very early on in his career. So it wasn't out of nowhere in that regard. But to Mm -hmm. do that to Kamara Usman at that point in the fight... That was what took a lot of people by surprise.
1: It's insane. People are already twisting that narrative too. Like Islam Makhachev said he dominated you know, Edwards for 24 minutes, and I'm like, ah, you didn't watch the fight.
0: Yeah. That was um, Ali
1: who said that. Probably. Uh, Ali definitely was very upset. The, his cage side reactions, I felt bad for Usman's family because that's yeah, horrible. Awful. But uh, seeing Ali get a little upset is fantastic. There's been very few moments
0: recently that have come close to uh, Juliana winning the title. Leon getting that head kick's probably the closest.
1: That's it's it was I that's that was honestly like comparable to any of the times Connor's lost in my household. <laughs> like I think the first time Connor lost to Nate in the UFC, I, that's probably the craziest we've ever gone. Um, but. And then, uh, ob- actually, that's not true. When Habib beat him and then jumped the cage to trying to coup de gras, flying stomp, Dylan Danis was uh, probably our biggest pop-off, but that, that's up there. It, that's comparable, and that's insane.
0: And one of the big reasons we're talking to this is about this as well is the result of that fight has an impact on the UFC 279 main event, because I think there was a lot of people out there before that fight thinking the winner of this one was going to be fast-tracked into a title match. Of course, though, Leon ends up pulling the upset. Dana seems very gung-ho about doing Usman versus Edwards three in the UK. So, the winner of this fight, the person we expect to win this fight, they're going to have the choice of either sitting out for a year until the winner of that fight sorts itself out, or having to take another tougher matchup, be that Colby... Shafkart, Sean Brady, Bilal, etc.
1: Yeah, it, it, feel, it feels like the winner of this went from a guaranteed title shot to losing to Colby. Like, it, it's so odd. Like, feels like I, I'm kind of glad that, that their matchmaking here is kind of falling apart, though. I feel like that should maybe teach them a lesson. Probably not.
0: Certainly so. Let us talk about UFC 279 in a little bit more detail. We've sort of touched on it time and again during the show so far. And I noticed this with UFC 278. We talked about this in a little bit of detail. And I bring it up again with 279. We're seeing the UFC going back to the same sort of attitude they had pre-pandemic when it comes to pay-per-views. Where you have one or two sort of marquee matchups at the top of a card. And really scrimping on quality when it comes to the rest of it. Is this the UFC changing policy? Or is this... Them putting so much into UFC 280 that they simply don't have anything else for these sort of fall cards.
1: I think they booked themselves a little thin because of 280. I, I also think they're testing the waters again with this because the man himself said, like recently, you know, when he talks about the money with the UFC, uh, if you put them on a bad card that isn't going to sell, that, that definitely helps in negotiations. I mean, because they're going to make money regardless. They make a ton of money off LiveGate and they're licensing through ESPN and everything like that. We, we've kind of seen recently that it seems like LiveGate is just icing on the cake, which is always great to have. Um, but I, I'm definitely wondering if this is like a like a testing in the waters, but I'm sure we'll... Uh, I, I th- I'm I think going to go ahead and get the benefit of the doubt and say it's because of 280.
0: I think there's another school of thought which... Obviously, we know that Nate Diaz is in the main event. We know that Nate Diaz is almost certainly not going to re-sign with the UFC, so he's going to become a free agent. Yeah. Could I maybe be cynical in saying that the UFC are intentionally scrimping on this card to try and lower lower Nate's stock so that, say, the Jake Pauls of the world can say, whoa, hang on a minute, Nate Diaz isn't as big of a draw as you think he is. Look at all these trash pay-per-view buys he did.
1: I never thought of that. That is genius. Uh, that's probably what they're doing. They'd love to devalue these guys right before they potentially lose them. Yeah. You know, look at Paige. Look at all like Sage Northcutt, like they just Cyborg. love to do that. Cyborg, probably the biggest ever. They love doing that. Yes.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk about these prelims uh, in a little bit more detail. You can see those on our screen right now. I have managed to find ourselves a couple of interesting tidbits when it comes from these fights, however. And the one that really stands out for me is Galton Almeida. So we've got sixteen and two record. And at both light heavyweight and at heavyweight recently, this guy has been steamrolling a lot of people. Obviously, Hamzart is getting all of the coverage in the media because of his big mouth. If you took Hamzat in a far more likable Brazilian manner, you've got Galton Almeida.
1: Absolutely. And uh, his opponent just pulled out. They got a recent opponent change, right?
0: Yes, um, it was supposed to be Shamil Abdurakimov, who's been in in the rankings for like ten thousand years, it feels like. <laughs> Stepping in yeah. to take his place is Anton Turkal. She was on the Contender series a couple of weeks ago. Eight to zero record. Stylistically, it's going to be a bit of a different matchup compared to Shamil. Uh, but I do expect Yalton to win this one. What's your opinion on
1: on him? I think he's fantastic. He's like a a new breath of life in a division that needs it. You know, everyone's like, uh, obviously, as of recording, um, UFC Paris hasn't happened yet for us. But uh, obviously, one reason why everybody's getting behind Taito is he's a new name in this top five. So uh, Almeida is definitely another guy who could be that. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm rooting for him to win. I was hoping he would beat Shamil because... Shamil is the perfect guy to get beat by a guy you want to make ranked. Yeah. And, uh, oh well. Like
0: I mentioned before, Shamil has
1: been in the top 10 for a long
0: time, but I struggle to think of anything noteworthy the guy's done. Like, what, he, he lost to Chris Dawkins. That's the most interesting thing I remember about Shamil or any headline to fight
1: card against Derek Lewis. Yeah, yeah, I remember him getting knocked out by Derek Lewis, sadly. And that's disrespectful and I apologize if you're watching, sir. But,
0: you know yeah um, speaking of the heavyweights we've got another interesting one that's I can I can certainly picture this fight I hate to call it a meme fight but Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett I think there's going to be a lot of people who maybe don't watch mixed martial arts paying attention to that one
1: I uh, that highlight of Chris Barnett uh, lead leg wheel kicking Gian Vellante is fantastic and ESPN has shown it like a thousand times to a thousand people who've never even watched an MMA fight. This fight might get eyes on it. Yeah, um, I'm excited for this one for sure.
0: And Collier's a bit of an action fighter himself. I mean like former middleweight fighter and he he's, he's still managed to carry a lot of that middleweight speed I feel like. I, I know he gets yeah, a lot he- of ridicule for his size but I think he's I think he's there's worse heavyweights on the roster
1: I'll put it that way. He, he's actually really good, I think. I mean, I feel bad for him because we, we make this joke every time his name gets brought up. But he is tailor-made to be beaten by an 85-year-old Andre Orlovsky, sadly. But that doesn't mean you're bad. So is 90% of that heavyweight division. Like, Orlovsky's going to be winning fights, you know, in the year 3030. <laughs> like, him and Deltron 3030 are going to be beating people up forever. And it just, you know... Uh, I don't think that's a knock on him, uh, and he lost to Tom Aspinall, who beats everybody. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think people pick on him too hard. I think he's super underrated for the division.
0: I think I'm right in saying that Aspinall's the only guy to uh, finish him since he came back.
1: I think so. I think I, if I, remember, I remember looking at it on Tapology, and I don't have it here. All my notes are on Chris Barnett, sadly, but I remember Jake Collier. Like he, he's been like alternating wins and losses. His last fight was the Orlovsky fight, so if superstition's real, he will win the fight. But um, yeah, Ar- 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 Aspinall KO'd him in like the first round, but he does that to everybody, so it's not. And he's like he's a bona fide top five guy right now, so that isn't that look that that loss has aged well, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Anything else that stands out for you on the prelims?
1: Uh, two things. Uh, a friend of the channel. Uh, you know, Darian Weeks is fighting. Um, but the other one that has caught my eye big time is Danielle Wolf finally debuts I, I, against Norma Dumont. Um, that's insane to me. I thought she would never appear. Uh, kind of wild. Uh, but I am picking Dumont to win despite that. I want to obviously clarify for a
0: lot of people who maybe don't know about Danielle Wolf. I covered her... In a little bit of detail on one of my recent videos on the main channel uh danielle wolf is a former amateur boxing champion i think she won multiple world championships um in the us uh transitioned to mma a few years ago made her pro debut on the contender series got a contract it was a controversial fight i think a lot of people picked her opponent to win that one still got a contract from the ufc and it's been two years since she won that fight so this is going to be her ufc debut 39 years old finally doing so now i think a lot of people know i have a lot of issues when it comes to the women's featherweight division i don't think it should be in the ufc and i think the ufc have a lot of ulterior reasons why they're keeping it around but it doesn't paint the division in a very good light whatsoever when someone like danielle with her minimal record is part of
1: the promotion i 100 percent agree i i think when it comes to the featherweight division, all I'll say on it is you either get rid of it or you make it a real division. Yes. And it, you have two options. We can't this this little thing we're doing now is terrible. Uh, and I don't like the fact that they, you know, I understand there was a lot of injuries and stuff like that. And I am sympathetic to that. But it doesn't feel right still that they're doing this with Danielle and the hundred forty five pound division um, and they're giving her Norma Dumont who has wins quality wins and big experience again with Aspen Ladd and Felicia Spencer on her belt.
0: How can we forget that uh, Dumont versus Ladd main event? Oh, it's awful. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, but it happened. I mean,
0: yeah, but it's um I think it, intrigue is the best way to put that fight. I don't I just have this awful fear that if Daniel Wolf goes in there and finishes Norma Demont, the UFC is just going to keep trying to sort of feign the idea that it's a
1: legitimate weight class. You know, technically at featherweight, um, Megan Anderson had two wins over debuting fighters, so it isn't out of the ordinary if Danielle Wolf fights Nunez next. If she wins, put it this way. I would probably be like the number
0: four ranked women's
1: featherweight. <laughs> uh, if I dropped 40 pounds, I could probably be ranked. Uh... <laughs> oh. We could spend all shore,
0: uh bitching about the women's featherweight division, but we do need to talk about mixed martial arts <laughs> and we need to talk about the main so card. Cool. We're going up to the light heavyweight division and this one could be chaotic. Johnny Walker is back in action. He's going to be taking on Eon Kutalaba. Betting odds for this one, you have Kutalaba as a minus 180 favorite. Walker, you can get a plus 155. And I have to say, given given where both fighters are in their career, good matchmaking.
1: Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Um, I think... I don't... You know, I'm trying to think out of word this, this. This one was the hardest one to word, word in my notes. But uh, I think this is good matchmaking. Um, Right now, Johnny Walker looks bad at SPG Ireland. Um, and Kutalaba hasn't been looking great either, but they're technically both better than 80% of 205ers. So you kind of have to throw them together. And I think that makes perfect sense of their careers right now.
0: And I think if you get both fighters at their best, it could be that sort of bomb-burning fight that the UFC like to do to open a fight card. Uh, We'll talk about Johnny Walker in a little bit more detail, though. Um, It's not been a good run of form for him. He's lost four of his past five. The losses have come against, admittedly decent opposition, Corey Anderson, Nikita Krylov, Thiago Santos, and Jamal Hill last time out. In terms of his notable wins, Ryan Spann, Misha Serkinov, Khalil Vountree. So, some pretty solid names in there. I do have one question when it comes to Johnny Walker, though. Remember when people said he was going to beat John Jones?
1: I remember that a hundred percent because i to embarrass myself a little bit i was playing league of legends one day and a guy told me in all chat that johnny walker was gonna meme all over john jones and i have never forgotten that weird experience um and now it, it's just insane to like think back on i remember him getting beat by cory anderson uh because i lost 20 bucks and <laughs> but uh yeah, and in, now in hindsight, I go, what was I thinking?
0: Like, I, I personally back Corey for that fight. I I never bought into the Johnny Walker hype in the same way that a lot of people did. And I know that you usually don't put a lot of weight into a fighter's regional record. Because sometimes it can be very subjective and there's a lot of circumstances around that. But I did see the guy getting chinned a lot. I did see the guy getting dropped and I thought, yes, he's getting all these quick knockouts, but how much of that is momentum? How much of that is a fighter in form and having that sort of self-confidence? So, and I personally think Corey Anderson is incredibly underrated. So I did bank on Corey to win that one. So I wasn't as upset as I know a lot of other people were at uh, 244.
1: Yeah, it's Corey Anderson is underrated. Like I, I, I think Vadim Nep- Nepkov, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, over in Bellator is really good. And he was winning their first fight, and their rematch is coming up soon. But, um, and I mean, I, that just makes the Johnny Walker loss, you know, for him. You know, age well. Um, Tiago Santos is on there. He's still going around. He's still fighting, technically. He's still doing okay. I mean, he just... It sounds like he's going to retire soon, or get cut soon, but that's neither here nor there. And Ryan Span... Or not the... the um, a Jamal Hill one is looking incredible lately. So uh, who knows? I mean, his momentum could come back. I think it was momentum that got him on that streak. But, you know, th- this, this guy's still young. He's only 30. He could easily, you know, bounce back. But I don't – I just worry about his gym. Yeah. Just specifically. Um, do you think that maybe the shoulder
0: injury he got
1: after the Circonoff fight, do you think that's maybe been a circumstance – That has to affect your confidence, I would imagine. And that's, like you mentioned, that's huge for a guy like him, for a guy who's just KOing and, you know, slaughtering guys in the first 30 seconds, you know. We have been quite negative
0: about Johnny. Let's talk about some of his positives. Um, First off, I will say he is one of the biggest light heavyweights on that roster. I think he cuts a ton of weight to get down to 205. But even though he is big for his size... Still very agile, still incredibly explosive. Um, unfortunately, though, you can maybe argue because he's now that he's with SPG, which is trying to develop him into a more sort of a counter-attacking style, a bit more, bit more aware of the feelings of his chin. Has he sort of dealt himself a bad hand by sort of limiting the amount of explosivity he can
1: possibly utilize in a fight? I think that was a bad choice of gyms for him. I know, like. They have, they have like a lot of accolades and stuff like that. And, or like a lot, and within the fight community, um, they are well-respected. Um, fans, not so much. They don't think too highly of them, it seems like, as a whole. But fighters typically think very highly of them. And that's what matters at the end of the day. Uh, but I, I don't think their styles really blend. Uh, against Tiago Santos, he just looked like he was afraid to pull the trigger the entire time. And that that cost him big time against Jamala Hill who just took advantage of that, you know, kind of hesitation and blasted him. Um I but I I will say something positive about Johnny Walker is uh his exp- how explosive he is. He a friend of mine said that he Johnny Walker reminds him of like a Brock Lesnar-esque except instead of wrestling it was Muay Thai and Capoeira uh and I went, "Yeah, that makes sense." I like how, that like, analogy. You know, I like that one. Yeah, like instead of throwing on a wrestling singlet he was you know like breakdance kicking people in the face i'm like ah that makes perfect sense actually you know
0: let's talk about his opponent in a bit more detail here eon kutalaba 16 and 7 record i found this really interesting i was doing a bit of research on kutalaba and someone very early in his career described him as uh the next Fedor. Like, or something like the moldovan Fedor, or something like that and I just found that really strange given obviously I think Kutalaba has a lot of positives, but he's he's nowhere mm-hmm. near that sort of level of quality.
1: Yeah, uh, that I feel like that's uh, like obviously it's early on in his career. It's but like someone... it's like
0: when they find this prospect from a really obscure country in football or soccer, and it's sort of like yeah. he's the Nigerian Messi or uh, the Jamaican Cristiano Ronaldo. It
1: happens like that in every sport, you know, it makes sense. Like in basketball Everyone's on their way to trying to find the new uh, Giannis, you know, the next Greek freak, as we call him. And uh, and so that makes sense. But, whoa, that is, I've never heard anyone say that. That's insane. That, but that makes sense kind of with the style. Big looping hooks, a lot of power. Yeah. Um. Only
0: one win in his last fight for Kutalaba as well. Uh, But he has lost to some good quality competition during this time. So you've got Glorah Tashira, Magomed Anklaev, who we lost to twice. One of those in a sort of very bizarre fashion. Jared Kananiyev, Misha Serkinov again. Uh, 16 wins, 14 of them have come in the distance, 12 by KO. Only four decisions, win or lose, in his entire career. So he is very much a kill-or-be-kill fighter.
1: And I love that. I don't like him as a fighter personally, but uh, I love that mentality. I think that is, and that's exciting, and that's one reason why they're opening up the main card. Yeah. What would you say are the biggest strengths when it comes to Kutalaba? He's so aggressive, and if you weren't ready for it, you're wilting. Uh, he nearly finished Glover in their fight. Like, he hits really hard for 205. Most 205ers hit hard, of course, if not all of them, but uh, he has some pretty solid power for sure, uh, even in that division, considering... Uh, and he he's just so aggressive that if you're, you know if your footwork isn't on point that day or if you're not ready to angle off and counter with head movement, you're getting clobbered and you're wilting under the pressure or if you can't take him down specifically. Um,
0: same sort of thing that you uh, pointed out, which I did as well. Very aggressive starter. We mentioned before he rocked Glover very early on and Glover, of course, went on that winning streak to become... I think, was that the first or the second fight after... Because obviously Glover lost to Corey Anderson and they started putting him against sort of like the sort of the guys they wanted in the top
1: 15. I don't know if he was like the first guy or the second guy. I think that was the first guy because I think that was like him. It might have been the second guy actually. Now I think that I Roberson really think was about first. That. Yeah, I forgot about Roberson. That's the one that made me go, wait, no, he fought Roberson. And it was, so it was Roberson first and then Kutalaba. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Uh, his aggression, as mentioned before, especially in the first round, fantastic to see. Dare I say I think he's a very underrated ground-and-pound fighter. We saw how he hammered Khalil Roundtree, just managed to get him down, and Khalil had no answer when the fight was on the mat. And when you look at how Johnny struggled when he fought Nikita Krylov, who was able to keep him down for 15 minutes, do you think that's maybe an avenue that Kutilaba could be looking
1: towards? That's what I think he's going to do. I think he's going to try and pressure him with hooks, uh, maybe even kick high because he has kicked high every once in a while to try and, you know, get the hands up and maybe dive on a leg or just muscle you down. And I can see him trying that. Uh, I think that's obviously the path the path of least resistance for him. And because uh, the, the ground game with Johnny Walker, we hear it's really good. We haven't really seen too much of it, in fairness. Um, and so in, in my mind, and I'm sure in his mind, that's probably the path of least resistance.
0: What's your opinion on the mind
1: games that Laba utilizes? Are you a fan of them? N- uh, no, um, but I'm sure they work on some people. I, I, it's one of those things where I'm not the, he, I'm not the one he's doing that to. So on the outside, as a spectator, I go, "That's weird," uh, but maybe it works. <laughs>
0: i think this is a real do or die fight for both men we mentioned before their poor form going into it i think that they can maybe be spared a little bit because 205 isn't the strongest weight class anyway and also as well action fighters normally so i think that could possibly spare them as well because we know that the ufc if they find somebody who's a little bit dull a little bit wrestle heavy their leash is a little bit shorter than somebody who's willing to go out there and give it the all um That being said though, I'd probably say the pressure is more on Johnny Walker to win this fight than it is on Kutalaba. Especially if Walker has this more back foot style fight the same way he did against Thiago Santos. The same way he was against Jamal Hill before the KO. So I think there's pressure on him to maybe be a little bit more aggressive. And I think it best suits him to go a little bit more aggressive. Because even though Kutalaba is very come forward as well, I think he can be quite chinny as well. So if we see some of the old Johnny Walker, that maybe he's throwing these like wild flying knees,
1: that's maybe his best path to victory, even if it's taking a risk by doing it. I a thousand percent agree. In fact, I think this matchup is, or I think one idea they have in this matchup is because they obviously had really high hopes for Johnny Walker. They did for Kutalapa as well, um, but not like Johnny Walker. And I think they're hoping this brings out the old Johnny Walker because one thing... We definitely saw a lot of in his early run was how well he could time that flying knee. And when someone's running in at you with it throwing hooks, it's pretty easy to time that flying knee. And so I think they're hoping they can kind of force a trigger pull with this matchmaking.
0: If you had to play Gianni the Greek, which way are you going with this one?
1: Uh well, actually I would that's take a lot of my biology because him. That's a bad yeah. analogy
0: because Gianni's been on a really bad run recently.
1: Yeah, I'd imagine he'd pick someone not even fighting at this point. <laughs> uh, he's like, I got Ben Askren beating Kutalaba. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go with Johnny Walker. I think with the matchmaking, I think they're trying to force a trigger pull, like I was saying. Uh, it just the question is, will he do it? And if he doesn't, I think Kutalaba has a very easy night. But if Johnny Walker comes in, doesn't look timid, doesn't hesitate, and is the old Johnny Walker, at least for a little bit, I think he has this fight.
0: I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit with this one. And I'm going to say a lot of it's going to come down to the first takedown because I do think Kutalaba is going to go quite grappling heavy for this one. Johnny Walker is going to need to finish him before that first takedown. If Kutalaba can get it and get him down... I see Krzylaba winning that fight. Either a ground and pound finish or uh, a sort of 15 minute
1: 30-27. Yeah. You know, and that, that's exhausting. Johnny Walker's cardio hasn't looked great. No. Well, we saw that
0: when he fought Krylov. He was knackered.
1: Oh, yeah. And against Santos in the later rounds, he considered it a moral victory that he wasn't on a stretcher, it felt like. It so was yeah. like, ugh.
0: And it is a real shame for Johnny Walker as well because he do, he is a big personality, and I think I think a lot of fans want him to succeed.
1: Yeah, I definitely do. I I genuinely really like the guy. He seems like a really cool dude, you know. Like in terms of personality wise, uh, he isn't incredibly unlikable like other people on this card. Um, <laughs> and and, uh, uh, and I think he's got a fun style. I I feel bad that he's had this run. Like I I try not to talk negatively about him, but I try to be as unbiased with my fandom as I can be. Yeah.
0: So, What did Kevin Holland ever do to you?
1: Oh, uh, I was talking about
0: uh, Irene Aldana. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of Irene Aldana, we're getting to that fight now. Fight number two is taking place in the women's bantamweight division and Irene Aldana is going to be taking on Macy Chasson. Betting odds for this one, very similar to the first fight. Aldana is a minus 155 favorite. You can get Macy Chasson a plus 135. Now, I think we know, Joe, that the women's bantamweight division is a, it's a weak weight class right now. And I think we've been quite vocal about that for a long, long time. And I think one of the big problems the division has had is we're not seeing a lot of new faces getting to the top of the rankings because the UFC like to do their normal thing when it comes to match and pit an upcoming prospect against one of their veteran names. But the problem is a bantamweight. We're seeing the Hollies, Jermaines, Rockies, Sarah McMahon's of the world Constantly beating the new fighters, trying to get up. So I quite like what the UFC are doing here, where they're just basically saying, "Stuff the gatekeepers. We're going to put the prospects against one another. Last one standing, we can maybe try and push towards a title fight."
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's what uh, what's it called? Um, strawweight was doing, no, strawweight. Flyweight was doing. Women's flyweight was doing with uh, with like Tiago or uh, Talia Santos. They didn't have her. They didn't have her fight Chikugian.
0: Yeah, and like Liz Carmouche as well. They actually got rid of Liz
1: Carmouche yeah. because she was beating so many prospects. How do you how do you build a division if you know her and Shakugian are killing everybody else off? It's like, oh. yep. Um,
0: so I actually think this is a really interesting matchmaking. I did find out though that uh, Macy was actually second choice for this fight. Original plan was for Aldana versus Panikianzad which I think maybe could have been a more exciting fight, but as somebody who likes Macy, as somebody who's supported her pretty much since Invicta, I'm glad mm. she's getting this sort of big
1: showcase opportunity on a pay-per-view card. Well, you, got, you have more, uh, more time on her than I do because I, I saw her on Tough where she beat up uh, Kianzad, uh, and, um like That's where I was like, oh. Because like, those two were the clear ones to watch in the, the women's division that season. That was the last season of Tough I watched, but wasn't, um, wasn't Luvisa Pacheco in that season as well? I actually yes, she, I think so. Oh yeah, that's right. And she's doing great in PFL, unless it's Kayla Harrison. But yes. uh, she's doing great in PFL. Yeah. And I and one of them beat her. Um, I think Macy did. Yeah, that's great. Because uh, I, I thought Macy looked great on on the season. I thought I thought it was those two were the clear. Oh, one of y'all is winning. Like every season, you you just know like it's one of y'all. Got it. Um, and Macy dominated Kianzad, and so I'm I'm kind of surprised to hear that they wanted Kianzad over Macy in this. Hmm.
0: I think we'll use this opportunity. Normally, we talk about the uh, the first fighter on listed on lineup. Uh, but we're going to focus on Macy Chasson and you obviously set that up pretty well. 8-2 uh, record. Her last fight was a victory. She fought Norma Demont in a rare women's featherweight fight, UFC 274. Uh, along with Norma Demont, she also has wins over Marvin Minot. Pani Kean that, as you mentioned. Her UFC debut came against Gina Mazzani, which was, I believe, still one of the fastest women's bantamweight knockouts in company history. So she's got that little uh, tip in the cap. Um, former Ultimate Fighter winner, and also as well one of the biggest bantamweights on this roster. Arguably, is she better suited fighting at one forty-five? Is she killing herself a bit too much to get down to this lower weight?
1: I think so. She, uh, I she is so big. Um, like it's not like a Megan Anderson type thing too, where Megan's just very tall. Like Macy's tall, and she's also kind of stacked in terms of like muscle like, you know, and everything like that. Um, That's got to be rough to cut down. I can only imagine. Yeah. The one that really made me sit up and realize how big Macy
0: was, was uh, when she fought Raquel Pennington. Because I think she stepped in on short notice because I think Julia Avalar pulled out of the fight with Rocky. Macy stepped in and they said, yeah, we'll do this fight, but it'll have to be 145 because of the weight cut. And the size difference between the two was ridiculous in that fight.
1: That's what threw me off when I was doing my research for this on Tapology. I forgot that if I was at 145. So I had to pull pictures up and I went, I had the same reaction. Though. Oh, I don't remember it being this big of a difference. Yep.
0: Um, what are the big traits which stand out for you when it comes to Macy? Obviously, we've mentioned her size, but in terms of her fighting ability, uh, what would you say are big positives, big negatives?
1: I like her fighting in the clinch. Um, on tough... And I've seen her just blast away with elbows and knees uh, in the clinch. Like I've seen her get, she she has like kind of. We talked about this with Leon Edwards last week, and I'm not saying she's on that level. I'm not trying to compare her directly to who I think is the best clinch striker in the sport right now, but uh, I kind of see some similarities with the elbows, uh, and I see with the knees as well. Um, She and her grappling isn't awful. Like she can grapple really well uh, I, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly she submitted Kianzad who was tapping everybody out on the show like she's actually she's actually very very well rounded and uh, you know obviously you know like we're going to look at you know potentially the downsides of like size and weight cut how's that going to affect her cardio but at 100% in the gas tank she's a threat in multiple on on the feet and on the ground
0: um, some of the things that stood out for me, um, maybe not so much later in the run, but especially early on, very quick starter. Likes to get on the front foot, likes to try and try and position herself in such a way that she can utilize that clinch game, which I agree with you, I think's her biggest strength. Um, I made a comparison a couple of months ago when I said that Derek Lewis was like the MMA version of Diotia from Robot Wars. I'm going to make another Robot Wars comparison here. They may see sort of... Fighting style—it reminds me a little bit of a machine called Tentamushi. Now, Tentamushi was like this big domed robot, so it like had the massive like lifting dome, and we used that like to cover off and sort of like pull it around and like very much sort of, like a wall install control type. That's how Macy Chasson fights—like big wild overhands to sort of swarm over you, and then use that. Aha! You're in my trap now. Here's the clinch. That's yeah. how Macy Chasson fights. I can see that. Yeah, a really bad analogy. I just love robot balls.
1: <laughs> I, I I watched it growing up, and I had to like picture it in my head. Like I was like, "That actually sounds like a cool robot." Uh, <laughs> it was designed like a ladybug as well. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I think I also remember this, uh, and you brought it up as well. Um, Macy is a finisher. You brought that up early on, but if I remember correctly, she does something I love, which is. Shifting stances mid-combination, yes. especially when entering a clinch. And that is a big, you know, how to enter my boy's stable 101.
0: And I think her counter game's pretty good as well, because obviously she had the size advantage on her side. But I'd actually say, even though she lost the fight, and I hate to say it because she's one of my girls, her best performance was against Raquel Pennington. Because every time Raquel tried jumping in to get inside... Macy was countering her over and over again. So
1: I think her counter game's pretty good as well. But that reach you would you, you would expect it to be really good, and it is. Like it, it seems like it seems like you know, she's still young, so she's still yes. putting it all together. And I, I I think she's looked better every fight.
0: And I think maybe, maybe we Especially in s- the Pennington one. Yeah. I think maybe we do see this inexperience to an extent, because the one thing I have noticed about Macy is She's very good at getting fighters into the clinch. But I think that next stage of the game of actually getting a fight to the ground, it's it can be quite bullish. And she can rush to try and get these takedowns. We saw that when she fought Norma Demont, uh, which very nearly lost to the fight. Um, so I think the takedown game maybe does need a little bit of work. And she's going to need to have a good takedown game against Serena Aldana, who we know has fantastic takedown defense.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Aldana has looked pretty good recently, and again, you know, 135 isn't great, but that doesn't stop, you know, from seeing like at least highlights of like, oh, actually, there's something to watch out for. I hope they don't fight Holly Home and then they get matched up with Holly Home, and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> but I, I think this is uh, I love Macy. We we spent a lot of time talking about Macy, and I am so worried for her. I don't want either one of them to lose because I like both a lot. But Aldana is looking really, really scary for Macy, I think.
0: Yes. Um, in terms of Rorani Aldana, 13-6 and six record. Coming off a win, she beat Yana Sky at USC 264. It has been over a year since her last fight and she's 34 years old. Could that maybe be a concern?
1: I think so. Uh, I think I, I value experience uh, over youth. Like typically, you know, um, but inactivity I think also hurts a good amount, and especially when you get and get older, you you see it. Uh, Dominic Cruz is infamous for saying ring rest doesn't exist, but it, it totally does. He's crazy. He's a once in a million guy, um, and I could see a little bit of it happening, which could be dangerous because you know Macy is a very quick starter.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, in terms of Aldana, though. I think the thing that stands out for a lot of people is her boxing. Her use of the jab, a counter left hook. We saw that against uh, Ketlin Vieira. Kutskaya dropped both with that left hook. A strong takedown defense. Um, And I think Macy's going to need to try and put the pressure on her early because the big thing that stands out for me with Irene Aldana, when she's on the front foot, she can look like an absolute world beater. But if you put the pressure on her and you get her moving backwards, a game crumbles, and we saw that with Raquel Pennington, we saw that against Lucia Putlova, Betch-Cohea got a really competitive fight out of her, which nobody expected because Betch was just going forward all the time turning it into a brawl. So, I think that's something that Macy's going to have to try and utilize if she wants to try and
1: find some success. I agree 100%, because the, the Betch-Cohea one uh is uh that, well that happened? Oof. Um, But, and I think that's something I wonder is like, you know, we mentioned Macy's, you know, being a a really good counter striker. Uh, It's kind of odd, uh, a boxer of Aldana's quality, not being the best off her back foot with the counter style that she could have, especially with the counter left hook, which she'll, you know, it's like almost an aggressive counter. She's on the front foot, forcing you to make a mistake, and then she blasts you with it. But I'm surprised she doesn't like have a an insanely great check hook while she's on her back foot. Who would you say you're favoring between the two here? I'm I'm picking Aldana to win. I don't think she's gonna finish Macy at all, uh, but I think it's gonna be a decision. And but I, I I lean towards Aldana. I think it's the experience is enough. I think that.
0: I think there's an avenue for Macy to win this fight. I think if she is able to put the pressure forward and work in the clinch, you could get yourselves... She could have an effective, if at times dull, sort of 30-27 fight. Because that's more than capable of doing, given Aldana's weakness on the back foot. But the big thing that stands out with a lot of Macy's opponents so far, they're not really... I mean, there's fighters which have good striking games, but I wouldn't say they're out-and-out power punches and -and out-and-out boxers in the way that Irene Aldana is. And I can picture Macy getting caught trying to go forward. So I, I've i got the fear this could be a bad night for Macy. I'm going to say second round kill for Irene Aldana.
1: Ooh. You, yeah, you actually almost convinced me to change my pick with the Macy one, but brought it around.
0: Yeah. I, I like to try and... Well, we saw that with the previous show. I always like to try and give every fighter... An, I always want to say with every fighter, there is an avenue for them to win. This is how they could do it. And I'm going to do that for every single fighter. I, I did that with Harry Huntsucker against Tyson Pedro. Yeah,
1: you did. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, that's that was, a, that was a good one. But I, I, I like that, though. I wasn't I was saying it's was very good. I like yeah. that. Because anything can happen in this sport, you know? Here's another question for
0: you, though. And it comes back to sort of the first point we made right at the start of this little segment. In terms of what would be best for the bantamweight division to try and inject some life, some interest, what would be the better result for the UFC?
1: I think Macy. I think the UFC loves marketing their tough stars. You know, a tough finale, or not a tough finale. finale can talk. <laughs> a tough winner. They love. Uh, they love their contender series too. But Ultimate Fighter is a little more rare right now. So, and I, but they, they like promoting that. Um, You know, I think Macy's probably the easier market or marketable star for them or potential star for them. Um, And with her size, that is a selling point for a lot of people. You know, oh, I want to see the the really tall chick, Megan Anderson fight, you know, uh, Amanda Nunes. You know, I mean, that, that kind of worked. That being said though. Irene
0: Aldana, Mexican fighter. We saw how they got behind Brandon Moreno. We know how they've been trying to push Alexa Grasso as a title threat as well. Mexico is a big market for the UFC. Irene Aldana occupies that.
1: That is true. Uh, and uh, I'm I, I've been avoiding my bias uh, of Mexican fighters uh, of my beloved me- fellow Mexicans um, by by picking Aldana, but because uh, I mean Brandon Moreno is. You know, that is, that's royalty in my, in my uh, family household right now.
0: That being said, if Macy was to win this fight, she would be in very good company because I was looking at the fighters who've beaten Irani Aldana over her career. All of them have fought for titles in a major promotion. So this is Larissa Pacheco, of course, PFL, lightweight, Tonya Evinger, Leslie Smith, Caitlin chukagian Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm. So Macy would enter a yeah, very exclusive club if she was to get this win.
1: That'd be huge. I, I think this could be the coming out party for Macy, honestly. I, I don't think it will. I, I agree with you on that. But I, this this easily could be, you know. I think this fight's closer than it, it, than it seems like, or the odds say it is.
0: Fight number three. Now we're going to the first of two late additions to this uh, fight card because... There was a lot of people, and I include myself in this, very critical of the UFC for not doing anything to try and make this card seem impressive outside of the main event. So, two fights were spliced together, very short notice. One of them, with a few question marks about him, this one seems a lot more positively received. Kevin Holland is going to be taking on Daniel Rodriguez in the welterweight division. You can get Kevin Holland as a minus 195 favourite. Rodriguez comes in at plus 165. We'll start off by talking about Kevin Holland. Um, obviously, he made a high-profile move to welterweight. He was often seen as being a bit undersized at a middleweight. What's your opinion on Holland being at 170 so far?
1: It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. And I, uh, I, I thought Kevin Holland, he was my fighter of the year in 2020 because um, of just the streak of runs and just fun fights he was having um, and he was kind of like the savior of a potential bad year for fighting in the world in general honestly in 2020 um, and uh, I, I, after a rough 2021 I'm really happy that he's kind of uh, made his comeback and he's, he's having, he, he looks like he's having fun I'm having fun watching him and I think he's looked good and I think they're doing really well with matchmaking up, up until now
0: what would you say is the big um, things that stand out for you when you separate middleweight Kevin Holland to welterweight? What's he doing differently?
1: He's actually grappling now. Like and grappling well. Like he isn't just sitting there, you know, talking to Dana and Habib while Derek Brunson's <laughs> ragdolling him. Uh you know, in his last fight, he won by submission, showing off his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, which when I would tell people, no, he has a black belt, they would give me that look. You know, they were a little confused when I brought that up. Um, you know, it, it definitely seemed like the size disadvantage was really just taking his grappling and throwing it out the window. Uh, whereas now he can grapple. Uh, you know, Alex Cowboy Olivera had his back and he was defending the choke. Yeah, got to grapple against him before finishing him in the second round. But there was some grappling there. And then Tim Means, he was willing to grapple. It's been great,
0: and along with those two victories, he also has wins over Jaqueiris Souza, Joaquin Buckley, uh, Fluffy Hernandez, uh, my boy Joel Mershart, and the one that everyone always brings up, Jeff Neal, as well on the regional scene.
1: That one is was crazy when I saw that. And I, I saw it a couple of months ago, and I was like, that, "That's nuts." Yep, yeah. Bellator fighter too. You pointed out. Yes,
0: he was. Yes, um, he was one of the uh, famous fighters you never knew fought in Bellator. I've actually got a lot of people asking me to do a sequel for that one, because everyone's bringing up, oh, well, you missed out Adrian Yanez, and you missed out Babalu, and people like that. So um, I'm thinking I might go back to that in a couple of months.
1: That was a good one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Especially because Kevin Holland I didn't know before yeah. that.
0: Look at us patting ourselves on the back. I did see the analytics, though, um, and there's a massive dip when I talk about Carlos Sparta, which I felt awful about. Oh.
1: Oh, poor Carla. I, I, I feel so bad for her right now. Yeah. Are you going to feel bad
0: about Daniel Rodriguez, though? 16-2, and two, uh, beat future UFC champion Kevin Lee in his most recent fight. Um, hasn't fought for a long time, though. That was his last victory, and that came in, uh, what, I think, um, something like August, September 2021. So he's been out of action for a while. Uh, his notable wins include Tim Means, Dwight Grant, Mike Perry, as mentioned before, Kevin Lee. 12 of v 16 coming in the distance.
1: Wow. I thought that I, for some reason, totally uh, lost it from my mind. I thought the Rodriguez or the, the Kevin Lee win was like in March this year. Wow. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's, you know, inactivity does suck, but honestly, this, this fight in general is my pick for probably the fight of the night. If I had to look at it from this point of view, uh, his boxing looks really good from the southpaw position, and he's he he's kind of seems like he's got a, like a good amount of hot streaks. Like he does, he isn't losing back to back. That kind of shows like a good mental fortitude, and it, it seems like he's, you know, kind of picking things up really well right now.
0: I heard someone describe Daniel Rodriguez as having farm strength. You think that's a fair analogy?
1: It's a very fair analogy. Matt Hughes had that. Yes. Uh, uh, And Daniel Rodriguez definitely has that. Uh, Because Kevin Hall, or not Kevin Hall, Kevin Lee got him down just because he's a better wrestler, not because he's stronger. Uh, And then after that, he started flinging Kevin Lee off of him. And
0: that to me is, I I would say Rodriguez is sort of a, um, I wouldn't say he has a deep game. He has an effective game, but it's not a deep one. I think he's got good power boxing. I think that he's grappling pretty solid. Um, So I think it's that sort of good all-round litmus test that maybe is going to gauge whether or not Kevin Holland is legitimate as a welterweight. Because at the moment, you see Cowboy Oliveira, you see Tim Means, they're putting him against these sort of welterweight action fighters. So like sort of like the Randy Browns and Nico Prices of the world, that sort of ilk. I think if he was Mm. to beat Daniel Rodriguez, I think it might be a sign to say, hey, there is mileage to the idea of Kevin Holland, welterweight contender.
1: If I'm, I'm, I'm honestly hoping Kevin Holland wins so I can get a dream match of Kevin Holland and Michelle Pajeda. <laughs> They're both. I'm just saying, UFC, if you think that's a great idea, all my check will be in the mail, I would imagine. Because um, that fight sounds killer to me. But I think this fight's going to be great too. Uh, I, I love your analogy or your... Um, The description of not a deep game, but it's a super solid game uh, for Rodriguez's boxing. It's a lot of like straight lefts into, you know, right hand, like right hooks, lead right hooks from the southpaw position. He isn't fancy, very meat and potatoes, but he's good and he's constant. Like he doesn't ever seem to go away. It's always the same pace, you know, kind of methodical. And this matchup sounds like a striking back and forth with Kevin Holland randomly saying something crazy in it, and I am all for it. Front row seats, sign me up. Would you
0: be concerned at Mike Perry taking down Daniel Rodriguez?
1: ah, I forgot about that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, Mike Perry also flung Mickey Gall, who I still really like. So... And Mike Perry also, if I remember correctly, he, no, he didn't do it with strength. He just straight up got him down. He took, but Mike Perry also took Cowboy down who has a decent wrestling, at, especially at welterweight. So maybe Mike Perry has just underrated wrestling and we've all kind of forgot it.
0: Are you leaning towards uh, Kevin Holland to win this one?
1: I am, but I, I want to throw the asterisk, asterisk or whatever. Uh, on my prediction and saying that I think an upset is very, very possible here. I think Rodriguez could definitely take it. Um, I I value top level experience over almost anything right now uh, in MMA, in MMA, but uh, Rodriguez has looked good. He's looked really good and you never know.
0: I'm in a very similar boat. I, I have a lot more time for Daniel Rodriguez than maybe some other people do. I know Kevin Holland's a flashier name, and I think that's maybe been a factor in the betting odds being the way they are. Um, I, I see a lot of value in Rodriguez. I can see him getting... I think if Rodriguez is going to win this one, it's going to be a unanimous decision. But Holland has... If there's going to be a knockout, it's going to come from Kevin Holland.
1: He had scary power at 185. And... I, we we've it to, to be fair, Alex Oliveira, nothing against him, but his chin isn't quite up to the task of, you know, like of a lot of other 170, 175, or, ugh, I can't even talk today, <laughs> a, a lot of other welterweights. Uh, I don't know what I'm thinking, uh, but a lot of other welterweights. doesn't have quite have the chin uh, of a lot of them, but I would have, and, and Tim Means has a solid chin, but not a great one, uh, and he got leveled uh was choked but he did get dropped hard by kevin holland you have to wonder if kevin holland still has that power carrying even through uh even though it's not a big weight cut a slight weight cut for him
0: and also in Oliveira and tim main so both guys who are arguably past their prime as well
1: mm. so it, this it's is,
0: this is the first real this is the
1: real litmus test
0: yes you took the words right out of my mouth must have been we're, while you were
1: we're, kissing me <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just uh, you know just too well connected too, too intelligent you know we read each other's minds yeah.
0: Brian Campbell you're not the only one to make obscure classic rock references on your uh, MMA show <laughs> and we don't talk about dick sizes to Danny Sabatello either
1: <laughs> oh man <laughs> Well, we're getting sued for libel <laughs> oh probably
0: yeah so what before we get taken off the air we're going to talk about our match in the welterweight division once again our core main event uh, and tony ferguson fan favorite is back in action and he's going to be taking on li Zhengliang. liang so two fan favorites what um, well cult heroes i think is a better way to put it uh, you can get the leech at minus 265 to win this one tony ferguson is at plus 220. now we talked before how Kevin Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez was quite well received when it comes to a short notice matchmaking. I think there's more people who are concerned about the UFC doing Tony Ferguson versus the Leech. And it's easy to see why. Tony Ferguson, free fight losing streak, brutal knockout up against Michael Chandler. As this is a short notice fight, he's going up to welterweight for the first time since he competed on the Ultimate Fighter. Now, I will say this. I will put this disclaimer in. If you were testing the waters for a Tony Ferguson welterweight run, I think the leech is a good opponent to put him against. But this, to me, feels like the UFC exploiting Tony Ferguson just to try and boost some pay-per-view
1: buys. I think so. Um, I, I think this is great matchmaking in terms of the matchup on paper, but I... Also have this weird feeling that they've been in training camp for three weeks for this fight because they announced it like two weeks ago. Uh, definitely feels odd. And I don't know. It, but I, I had to remind myself that Tony has fought at 170 before. He won the Ultimate Fighter um, on a, in a good season with Brock and JDS uh, at 170 pounds. And he didn't look undersized there. So maybe this is a, a decent idea, actually.
0: What do you think of Tony's idea to start training with Jackson Wink?
1: Um, you know, like those memes of like Tony Ferguson, the type of guy. Uh, all I could think of is Tony Ferguson, the type of guy to go to the best gym from whenever he debuted 11 years ago. Because uh, it isn't they're not they're not that great right now. Uh, they were great when he debuted not now it's a little odd
0: i i certainly don't have i have to be honest i don't have the time for jackson wink in the same way that a lot of other fighters do mainly because i think that i think they they utilize much more of a point fighting style and look don't get me Mm. wrong we saw the success that they had with a lot of fighters as you mentioned before five ten years ago they were just churning out champions after champions the well has dried up. Yes, you've got Avin Pico, who's there, who's probably I would say the biggest name right now. But the truth is, I just don't find Jackson Wink fighters all that interesting, and I would hate for the the all action fan favorite Tony Ferguson to suddenly be like wall installing everyone to try and grind out wins.
1: Yeah, it was. It was um, I think it was like in 2010, Dana White uttered the famous, the infamous lines. He called Jackson Wink uh, sport killers. You know, in reference to like how Nate Marquardt just refused to do anything against Yushin Okami. And it's like they they really do like that approach of like, you know, play it very safe. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm I'm going to be bored, you know, if they do that. But at the end of the day, I can only complain. They're the ones who have their health and financial well-being on the line. So I, I get it. Uh, but man, I, I would be real heartbroken if the man, the myth, the legend himself came out Holly homing it up for five rounds or for three rounds. I will say though, that as much as we criticize
0: Jackson wing for maybe being a safe gym, given some of the chin issues that Tony Ferguson has had, maybe going to a gym, which is a little bit more conservative might be more beneficial.
1: That's definitely, um, like, I I didn't really think his chin was the whole problem of recent. I just feel like he uh, was just a little lost, like, mentally. Um, He definitely seemed out of it in the Dariush and the Olivera fight. And in the Gaethje fight, which, full disclosure, I, for some reason, love that fight. Uh, I just think that he just took... No, no person on earth can take that kind of punishment for that long. Uh, But then the Chandler thing happened and it makes you wonder he's 37. Like, uh, so maybe, maybe this was the right play and uh, we're just quick to judge, you know, might have a point there.
0: Do you think it's just age, which has hurt Tony Ferguson? Or do you think there's a, another underlying issue? Do you think that the Gagey fight maybe took a little bit, it was that sort of Dillashaw versus Burrell moment where no matter where you go, no matter how hard you train your body just isn't the same.
1: I think, I think two things happened. I think it's the Gaethje fight that ruined him. Um, personally, I I don't want to say ruined him. I'm going to change my wording. I think it's the Gaethje fight that started this slump, uh, because he did something. I love Tony Ferguson. We all know he's a personality. If you know anything about him, if not YouTube him, trust me. Uh, And uh, he cut weight twice for that fight. He cut weight randomly twice for fun. That was dumb. And that, I think, definitely hurt his body a lot. And it causes a lot of wear and tear on the body to do that twice. And then all that punishment you take, you know, both of his shins are bleeding at the end of the fight. He looks like a different person whenever the fifth round starts. Um you know, Gaethje's probably the hardest hitter in 155 history. And he took all those shots, never went down, was still conscious, sort of, by the end of the fight. Um, So it makes sense that he did look bad in this next fight. And then against... It just seemed like a mental downfall. When you're riding that high, 12-fight winning streak, smoking everybody, you know, when your toughest moment is... Kevin Lee nearly getting staff on you, and then you choke him out anyways. Like, that's that's not fair to say. Honestly, he had a couple of tough moments, but uh, it has to it has to just hit you weird. It's it's like um, you know, when I'm trying to think of someone else. It's it's like how we we, we thought it could have happened with Amanda Nunes. You know, after the Pena loss, what else is there? Like, you just mentally lose it, and I I think that actually happened with Tony a little bit
0: let's focus a little bit on the leech though 19 and 7 record he's coming off uh i wouldn't what i call this an impressive victory it was it was a good comeback win up against muslim salikov who was riding a five fight winning streak before that fight um notable wins from the leech's record include santiago ponsonibbio celeski dos santos and it's quite interesting when we talk about the leech uh, with the leech because his nickname the leech was usually because of his pre-ufc career where he was known for being a bit of a lame pre artist, so like leech just clamps onto you and just sticks to you on the ground. But since then, since he's come to the UFC, a cult favorite, like a good action fighter.
1: Yeah, he he actually has like fans, like um, people recognize him. They recognize his name and his nickname. It's awesome, and we've all forgotten about that time he cheated really hard against Jake Matthews. But yes. anyways. Uh, <laughs> Um, I thought he looked really good against Salikov. Actually, Salikov, he's boring, but he's really tricky. Like, it's really kind of hard figuring out the puzzle that is Salikov on the feet. When, you know, when the signature move of Salikov is a feint, not even a strike, you know it's going to be a tricky matchup. And he figured it out. He landed his shot. He timed it well. And he got the finish. I thought it looked great
0: two big weapons when it comes to the leech which is first off his low kicks i think he has very good low kicks and also his hooks and especially setting up his left hand which i'd probably say is his big power weapon
1: now I got my boy with it mm, ponzanibio yeah you
0: you're still bitter about
1: that one aren't you uh, i am but uh you know someone has to lose every time they step in i can't i, I can't fault him for that and he was a good sport after it honestly the leech was if you so, want a knife that's all i know if you want a net positive though
0: um Nibio was becoming a little bit too successful to be a boy so this losing streak you can put him in your stable
1: exactly now ever since his rec- his slight decline uh he is a uh, he is boy worthy i can actually add him in i can remove tim means and put in Nibio. yeah it's the main reason
0: why i kind of don't want the pennington to uh win a title because I'd have to take her off the <laughs> stable.
1: You can then. Well, I think if she gets a title, you can take a lot of credit for it. Yes, yeah, so I've support been throughout like, the years.
0: It's me and Tisha Torres, like neck and neck for like the biggest Raquel Pennington fans.
1: Yeah, it has to be. Honestly, I'd watch that pay per view. You versus Tisha Torres. Did <laughs> she, she kick the living daylights out of me? She is terrifying. You know, she, she's. Uh, I would be terrified of Tisha Torres. Yeah. Uh, what would you say are the biggest strengths for the Leech? I think he actually has really good counter game. It doesn't seem like it because he's kind of a brawler with a slight technical boxing. or He's like a brawler with a, with a slight boxing technique kind of thrown in there um, to kind of round out his striking. Uh, obviously, with the low kicks as well, really help out with it. Um, but he's got a lot of power. And he actually seems really kind of, I don't want to say big, almost dense for the weight class. Like, um, Neil Magny had a hard time grappling or like clinching up with him. Neil Magny's really good in the clinch and he had a little bit of a hard time trying to, you know, muscle him down. Eventually it was a cardio for Neil Magny that got him there. So it, it isn't hard. It, it seems like it's a little difficult to just bully him in the clinch or on the ground. Um, but I honestly like his, I like his counter game. Like he actually has decent head movement, uh, whenever he's like, out. You know, you think the big power punches and stuff. Now his head movement's good. He 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 moves his head whenever he throws a power punch, which I love. And, um, you know, he isn't just a, a one-handed power puncher. He has power in his right and his left. Obviously, his left is his more famous one, but uh, he he he's definitely, you know. He's just good. I think he's so underrated. I'm glad he has fans. I'm glad he's popular now. He's he's really, really solid. What's your opinion he's like on... A, he's like a welterweight Drew Dober. Good one.
0: I like that. Um, what would you say is your opinion on the Leech's grappling? Because, obviously, the nickname the Leech was because he was known for that very early on in his career. Sort of like holding people down. And we've seen Tony Ferguson struggle against Charles Oliveira, against Benil Daryush. Could we maybe try and see Leach going back to that sort of grappling-heavy style and trying to grind out that 30-27 against Tony?
1: I don't think so. I could I could see him trying that, and that's where I'm really curious about what happens because, uh, like like I said with Kevin Holland earlier, at Welterweight he's able to show off his black belt. He couldn't at middleweight because of the size difference. Now, I'm really curious if the size difference is enough for Tony not being able to show off his jiu-jitsu at 170. I wonder if that's kind of a similar case. Um, But I don't know. I I, I don't know if he'll want to knowing the grappling accolades and acumen of a Tony Ferguson. I think he might go, Ooh, maybe I'm better off just beating him up on the or trying to beat him up on the feet. Um, But if things go wrong for him, because he does have a reach disadvantage, actually Tony Ferguson has the reach advantage and is longer in this fight, so if he does have trouble with with that, he definitely could.
0: Yeah. Um, and I would like to see Ch- Tony trying to utilize that jujitsu game because it's been mythicized so much over the fan base ever since like the rumors of the Khabib fight came out. But we haven't like when was the last time like Tony really had utilized what probably the Kevin Lee fight?
1: That's the that's the last time I've seen him use it because he fought he's fought 3 times since then. He was going to he fought Pettis or not 3 times. Uh but he fought Pettis Cowboy. Cowboy. Those those were just stand up fights. He just beat battered them on the feet. Uh, we saw a little bit of his grappling actually in the Pettis fight. But um it was so subtle that you know, like they weren't really on the feet for long. They stood him up because uh they were both covered in blood and they didn't want a Nicholas Dalby moment uh, from, if you remember that fight. Yeah. I'm, so they were, let's wipe them down.
0: I think I, I'm going to try my best to uh, get that fight into some kind of future video. The uh, the bloodbath.
1: I. That's a fight I recommend to everyone who says, I think I like fighting now. Oh, do you?
0: Because <laughs> they couldn't stand up because the two of them had lost so much blood.
1: They were slipping on the mat. <laughs> and... Then they and they kept fighting. They let it go, uh, like I, I'm. I'm pro fighter health. I I've, on the recaps I've said it. On here I've said it. But and I'm also pro violence. It it's it creates such a inner conflict within me that I don't know what to think of it. And I just love the fight. I just kind of default to I love that fight. So
0: which way do you think this one is going to go? Because are you going to stick to your sort of like Tony Ferguson fandom look at the Michael Chandler first round and think there's just enough in there that Tony Ferguson could make one last run or do you see the size of the leech just being a bit too much for Tony
1: I thought about this one for about two hours last night Uh, that's no, no exaggeration like two hours of me playing video games working on my notes and smoking a cigarette or two and I I, I I, don't think I'll ever pick against Tony Ferguson. I think I'm going to pick Tony Ferguson by decision. Uh, I think he's just one of those guys where I feel like the second I don't pick him to win, he's going to go on another 12-fight winning streak and just to make me look stupid. He'll just like single me out. Uh, it's like Robert Whitaker. I'm never going to pick him to lose a fight. I don't think I'm ever going to pick Tony to lose a fight.
0: I hate to disagree because we both get on really well. I am picking the Leech to win this one. I can see Tony having moments. I can maybe even see Tony winning the first round because the Leech is a slow starter. But I also pitch the Leech landing that big left hand, Tony getting a little bit wobbly. And because being 37, he's not going to have that same sort of recovery in the same way that he did a few years ago where he's able to roll away from... Lando Venata rocking him or Anthony Pettis rocking him, which is one of his big 40s. Same with Frankie Edgar. Like Edgar never had a great chain. He had great recovery and knew what to do when he was hurt. And Tony was in the same boat. And that's something I feel which has been lost. And I can see the leech swarming on him if he was to get him hurt. And sort of Mark Goddard her Dean stepping in and for Tony's own well-being.
1: That's what I fear. I, I, I don't want that to happen. I think that's very plausible. I think what I picked. I think that's the like the majority percentage of what could happen of the thousand things. But I think that's got to be the number two most likely outcome. Uh, I, I I'm, the one thing I want to know is I want to see the speed difference. Yes. How much faster is Tony Ferguson than the leech?
0: And if Tony was to lose this fight, that's going to be four in a row. I don't think the UFC are ever going to cut Five. him. Five in a row, I should say. I don't think the UFC yeah. are ever going to cut him. But do you think that's maybe the one where Tony says, "You know what? I'm done. I'm okay
1: with the timing." I think. It, I think he should. I think if he should, if he loses, uh, and I just hope, hope and pray that people recognize him for what he was, because I, I, I personally think Tony Ferguson, in terms of pure ability, is probably the greatest lightweight ever. And through politics, backstage politics, and other unnatural things like tripping over a random wire, he never got that strap. The the, the undisputed title. The never got a chance I, at it, even. The last
0: thing I would want is Tony Ferguson to become a BJ head.
1: Yeah. It, it's, you know, the, another one of the greatest ever in terms of ability. And look what happened with his... It, it's just... You know, I don't want him to be a BJ Penn. I don't want him to be a Sam Alvey. I don't. I don't want that. I. So let's talk about our main event then. We are staying in the welterweight division.
0: So this has been a very welterweight-heavy show, which um, I'd probably say welterweight is up there as one of the strongest weight classes in the UFCs. And I think the UFC are trying to get behind that by showcasing it in the way that it is. So our main event sees Hamzat Shumayev, the big UFC flavour of the month right now. And he's taking on a huge fan favourite in the form of Nate Diaz. Now it's safe to say the bookmakers, they're not giving Nate all that much of a chance. You can get Hamzat at minus 1150 as a bookmaker's favourite. Nate Diaz comes in at plus 170. To put that into perspective, the last time we had bookmakers odds this wide for a pay-per-view main event was Ronda versus Betch, UFC 190. It has never been higher for a male fight. So you bear in mind how the bookmakers, they don't see this one being
1: competitive. So why are the UFC making this one? Because Nate has a contract that's up and they want to punish him. Um, they, I, I think it's a two-part answer. I think the first part is they want to punish Nate. I think the second part is... I think they already think Hamzat's getting that title shot, which you know, I'm sure we'll get to uh, how what would we think of him as the fighter, not the person. Um, and I think they go, well, this is just another big name on his record. It's okay. Like, there's no such thing as bad publicity in this sense. So him having a squash match with Nate is fine.
0: I think from, I'm sure that's
1: their mindset. Yeah,
0: I think from a business perspective... I understand why the UFC are doing this. They obviously want to bank Rulzhayev. They want to try and capitalize on his new star. They're giving him a pay-per-view main event in a non-title fight, which very seldom happens these days. Nate Diaz, of course, you mentioned before, there's the contract issues with the UFC. They want to try and cash in on him one last time before he goes off, probably to fight Jake Paul or do something with sort of like the celebrity boxing circuit. But I think from every other metric, like. The thing is, like, the Diaz fans, and Nate has a fantastic, huge fan base, that's always been there, even before the Conor fight, he was a massive cult hero. It's not as if the Diaz fans are going to suddenly become Chamaya fans because Hamza beat him. There seems to be this attitude with the UFC a lot of the time where they almost go for this idea of just because you shot Jesse James, don't make Jesse James, and that because... Their new Shining Star beat a big name. They inherit all their fans. There have been examples of that happening before, but it very seldom works. And the thing is as well, Hamzad isn't gaining anything from beating Nate Diaz, who's 37 years old, who's lost, I think, four of his past five. So from those metrics, it's a bit
1: meaningless. This is the weirdest main event I think I remember in my life I'm sure there's more and recency bias is very huge here but i just i'm more perplexed about this than i was about Robbie Nick being 5 rounds or Leon Nate being 5 rounds or the BMF title like this is th- three Nate moments in that but <laughs> that's just coincidence Uh, This is so weird to me. You have Hamzat, who I think beat the secret baddest dude at 170 pounds, not named Edwards or Usman. And Gilbert, not that long ago, in a fight-of-the-year contender. Uh, Close fight, but a fight-of-the-year contender. and It was great. And let's get, you know, what, what do we do? Do we give him another guy who's ready? No, let's give him Nate, who almost shocked the world last year and decided to point and laugh at Leon Edwards instead of finishing him. Like, I, so there is risk here, but where's the reward? Yeah,
0: and that's the same board I have. And I think it also underlines as well a big issue I have with the UFC in general, which is I think the UFC are very dismissive of the treatment of their veteran fighters, like, if you have someone like Nate Diaz who has been a loyal servant to you for goodness knows how many years. What was his first season? Like, Ultimate Fighter Season 5? So we're looking at 2006, 2007. Yeah. So he's been with your company for goodness knows how long. Even if you have these sort of personal issues with him, give him, you know, a celebratory fight. Give him some, Like, Diaz versus Tony Ferguson at 170. That would have been a perfect send-off for both
1: guys. Yeah. It would've been incredible. It it would have been our like it could have been like a close to like the MMA equivalent of Rock and Austin at like WrestleMania 19 or something. It both the the fandoms of that similar styles, boxing and jiu-jitsu, boxing and jiu-jitsu. Like that that's perfect matchmaking and said so we got this. Yeah. So, we'll obviously talk about Hamzat, which I think
0: we've sports in with Gritted teeth because I I think we're both honest about this. We're not the biggest fans of the person. I think he's said and done a lot of things which I don't personally agree with, which I won't get into too much on this show. As a fighter, it's just been all dominance. And with that being said, I will say a little bit of a disclaimer when it comes to the Hamzat dominance. Yes, we saw him blow through GM3. We saw him blow through the leech. He got that jump against Gilbert Burns, and he passed the test, but... For the first time, and I'm thankful for the first time, we did see him tested. He looked human. And that's the thing I think a lot of people wanted to see, including myself. I think there was, I mean, people were looking at the leech fight and saying, oh, this guy's going to be the welterweight champion, middleweight champion, light heavyweight champion. And (laughs) Gilbert Burns gave him a hell of a tough fight. He was rocking him multiple times in that second round
1: nearly soccer kicked him yes it would have been awesome i wouldn't i wouldn't even have faulted him i would have i was so into it i was so into that moment like i'd fault him now like in hindsight but in that moment i would be like you know what i don't even care uh it was awesome i mean that fight is that's my fight of the year so far just a brawl and but i i i actually love him as a fighter as a as a person but anyways as a fighter though he is so much fun and he looks fantastic i think and I love that he looked human. Yeah. That that shows, like, it, it, it's easier to get in like immersed in a fight. It's easier to get excited for a fight. Like, my, my dad ha- grew up, or not grew up, but, like, he was watching the Tyson era and boxing. And he said it was awful before the Buster Douglas thing. Because this guy looked unbeatable, untouchable. He's ending fights in two minutes. How do you get excited for that? spending money just to watch him smash a guy in a minute and a half. And then that happened and it just shook the world, you know, uh, seeing Hamzat look human for those moments made me go from, man, I don't want to see him fight Colby. Cause what if he just smashes Colby? It went from now. I want to see those two fight. Cause what I want to see those be- two what fight. beats him. Yeah. What if Colby beats him? That sounds like a great matchup on paper. We know one of them isn't just, you know, Undertaker at WrestleMania, like we know he's he's beatable like. You know, I, I think that makes the him a much more exciting fighter, weirdly enough, is him getting dropped and hurt, him getting humbled, well, not really humbled. He's still arrogant, but him like having moments of struggling, I, I I think that makes him a more exciting fighter.
0: And I think the most ominous thing for me, though, is the more I think about this, the more I think Gilbert Burns was the hardest stylistic matchup for Hamzat because Gilbert, incredibly stocky, cracks like he has a really powerful striking, which I think a lot of people have come to appreciate over the last couple of years. Hamzat was a bit scared about going into his guard because we know how good Gilbert's jujitsu is. Like, the only thing Gilbert was lacking was that sort of double leg takedown game. If Gilbert had that, I think he could have possibly won. But the fact that a guy who's, oh, yeah. what, 10-0, and 11-0 in his career, so still a pretty much a rookie when it comes to mixed martial arts, was able to beat his hardest
1: stylistic matchup, that's where I get nervous for this division. He, the, the, he, he beat the division's worst stylistic matchup. Because if that guy had a double leg, if that guy didn't punch himself out, he would have been welterweight champion a couple years ago. Like He kind of punched himself out trying to knock Usman out. And he gassed out and he got finished with a jab because he's just too worn out. And I think the adrenaline dump got to him. And then he beat up Wonderboy, who was supposed to smash this whole division once he got healthy. And now he's he, he's potentially about to go and smash all. And then, like, he, he's a scary guy. And, you know, like he said 11 fights and he beat him.
0: Let us talk about Nate Diaz then. Um, Obviously, Nate has been around the sport for goodness knows how long. We're all very aware of his issues with the UFC. Um, Before we actually get into the fighter himself, where do you stand on the whole issues that Nate has had with the promotion? Do you sympathise with Nate? Are you? Do you think he's maybe? Because we know that Diaz can be a little bit awkward. We know that he can be, you know, sort of pulled in his chin a little bit. Do you think he has a point?
1: Uh, I know, I know Nate was upset about certain things like money contracts and not being offered fights. And I think I am with him on 110% on that, you know, whenever, like if you're, if you're on the shelf because of injuries and stuff like that, that happens. And I, my heart goes out to you, but if you're on the shelf because the UFC isn't offering you fights, then that's a problem. You know, and Dana coming out, and I, I for, and I, I don't want to say it was a lie, but I remember there being information to counteract his point of no. We're legally required to offer you fights every once in a while, but I remember there being something to counteract that point. Uh, it, it definitely was fishy. But then Nate said Nate said this, and then Dana said no, yeah, he did that. Uh, was Nate said I only want to fight in Ganu or Israel Adesanya? So I don't know. Uh, the Diaz's seem hard to work with.
0: I will say this. I do believe Dana to the extent of them saying we've offered Nate multiple fights. But I can also see a situation where Dana's been saying, okay, here's our offer. Chimaev in January, Chimaev in February, Chimaev in March, Chimaev in April. And eventually just got to the yeah. state where either Nate got fed up or the money got so high that he just said, eh, hey, stuff it.
1: I could see, I could actually see that, or I could see them going. You're fighting Jamie Malarkey on the first fight of the card because this is your last fight. We're gonna throw you on the prelims for your last fight. I, fight. Like your, I like you. Like,
0: I like you, Mularkey.
1: Me too. Uh, I, his last <laughs> fight was his fight. His last fight was incredible, but he, uh, but I mean, that's that's Diaz is not gonna know who that is. Diaz only knows like four fighters at a time. I mean, it, it feels like at least. Um, so, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I could see both. I could see them never offering him a fight, or Diaz just saying, like, you know, or Dana just saying, like, you're going to fight this guy, and you're getting paid, you know, X amount of dollars, which he hates.
0: I have to say we've been talking about everything other than the fight here, because <laughs> I think we've got to be honest, there isn't going to be that much of a fight to this. I think most of us are picking uh, Hamzat to win this one, I think most of us agree that it's going to be quite comfortable. If Nate was to try and make this competitive, what do you think needs to happen?
1: Um, I'm going to avoid making a joke here. I almost had one lined up, and I'm just going to not do that. So I'm going to take it seriously, and I think if Nate is going to make this fight serious, I think what he's going to do is uh, I can see Hamzat lowering the guard a little bit. You know, after maybe the maybe first round, takes him down, mauls him, doesn't finish him, 10-8. Second round, Nate, isn't, Nate didn't give up after being 10-8-ed, it felt like, a couple times against Leon last year. And he still landed that shot. So he still has the power. Hamzat can be hit. He is kind of hittable. We saw Gilbert hit him. Sometimes it's not power. Sometimes it's placement and timing. And Nate could find that spot and could find that time. And that could wobble him. Uh, I th- I'm actually kind of curious to see how the striking is between the two. Uh, if I-, I could see Hamzat just taking him down, using his size and strength, and just mauling him. Because I don't think he'll be afraid of Nate's grappling like he oh. was at Burns. But uh, on the striking, I think there is something a little bit interesting there. Uh, while I think Hamzat will have the advantage, I do want to see what Nate does.
0: I think, for me, there's two ways that Hamzat's going to approach this fight. And I think they both feed into his ego. There's two ways he's ever going to do this. Number one, he's going to want to try and make a point by finishing Nate as quickly as he possibly could. Which is, take him down, ground and pound, that's it. Or, we all know how durable the Diaz brothers have always been. They are notorious for how granite their chins are and how much punishment they can take. And I can see Hamzat wanting to try and make a point and saying, I am going to knock out Nate Diaz. Because it's hardly ever been done. I think like Josh Thompson's the only one. So if Hamzat does try chasing the knockout and starts fighting with that reckless idiocy, because he did, he fought like an idiot against Gilbert Burns. So if yeah. he starts fighting like that and he do, if Nate can coax him into a brawl, then maybe Nate has an opportunity. But
1: outside of that, I don't see anything else. Yeah, same here. Um... It's kind of crazy to think that this could be the third guy to get a welterweight title shot after beating Nate Diaz.
0: Yes, uh, because it was uh, Masvidal and then Leon.
1: Yeah, and it could be Hamzat here. Yeah, Hamzat could say, I beat him. I'm going to stay on the sidelines. I'm not fighting Colby. I want you to
0: finish this line for me, Joe, and then we'll move on to obviously doing our roundup. I want you to finish this line. If Nate Diaz wins this fight, I will dot, dot, dot.
1: Oh, man, I almost bet a 209 tattoo like John Anik did. But uh, I already have my next tattoo planned, and I don't want to spend that money on a Nate Diaz tattoo. um, I'll shave the beard. Yeah, I'll do that.
0: There you go. I'll
1: put the beard on the line. I'm going to err on the
0: side of caution here because the last time I made one of these predictions, I ended up with a Juliana Pena T-shirt.
1: That's a that's a that's a former world champion T-shirt though. Yes, yes, it'd be worth (laughs) about
0: four quid in a couple years time.
1: Mm. No, I will always love you. (laughs) You never know; she could win the trilogy.
0: um, I will always love Juliana for that fight, and honestly, even what happened in the rematch isn't going to change how amazing that moment was at 269. I will, I, I will you end can't with take it away. You can't take it away. Um, one thing I will say though, before we do wrap things up, though, is behaving a lot of people sort of I think they're saying this quite coyly, like, "Oh, could you imagine if he did this?" all that sort of thing. There was a boxing match a few years ago where one fighter was in dispute with the promoter over fighter pay, and the moment the match started, he immediately walked out the cage. Do you think Nate Diaz would ever do that? Bearing in mind what's happening with the UFC, uh, Herb Dean invites both of them into the center of the cage, match starts, and Nate immediately says, stuff that walks out.
1: That would when be the ultimate two-finger
0: to Dana White.
1: I honestly, I, I have that. I, I, I've, I've thought about that for a while. So I, I had the image of him just going in. No, I'm done. I don't need this. <laughs> and just tapping and dipping out flipping the bird as he walks yeah yeah double fingers Kurt Pellegrino triangle style um god that'd be awesome <laughs> I'd be a DS fan again I'd be a Diaz fan again for sure they, they lost me a couple years ago with like this mess um you know like they were, just seem like they're hard to work with and stuff like that uh like the poyer thing I think was what broke my broke the straw for me for Nate but, um, what's it called? Uh, yeah, I'd be a DS fan again if he did that. That'd be so awesome. Be perfect. Just ruin an entire pay per view. This is his last final on the contract. Why not? I would
0: love but to see I don't it. know. If I would Ego love to Willetto. see it just for, just for Dana's
1: reaction. Oh, man. The whole recap video I, I do would just be like me going, all right, then Dana said this. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So, that is all the time that we
0: have for the UFC 279 preview show. We've gone over 90 minutes talking about this one. Uh, not the strongest card on paper. We did manage to find some. Wait, how would you. What's the term that they use? Um, uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I think we've mm-hmm. been able to do this with this preview uh, show. Definitely made chicken salad. There you go. Much better analogy. Yeah, yeah I can't afford chicken. <laughs> we live in the UK, we've got nothing right now. No money whatsoever. Ooh.
1: Oh, I heard it's rough.
0: Yes. Um, so thank you very much for everyone who has been tuning in to the preview show. You can contact us on Iron Cage Fighting. That's our Twitter feed. Patreon.com forward slash It's Not Cage Fighting. And we hope that you can also stay tuned to the main channel. We have been getting a bit of an upswing when it comes to um, viewership. Thank you very much for supporting the Kevin Lee video that we just did. And coming up on Wednesday, we're going to have our next retro review. Now, we're trying to give Nate Diaz some inspiration before his fight. And we give people a selection of some of the biggest upsets in UFC history. So we had UFC 69, UFC 173, UFC 269, as well as Strikeforce, Fado versus The Doom. So those were our nominees. Joe, time for you to reveal which one you will
1: be looking at on Wednesday. And uh, after the drum roll I did, um, UFC 69 won. The greatest fighter ever, GSP against Matt Sarah. Nothing could possibly go wrong, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to be honest. I, I'm not going to criticize anybody for the selections that they made. But I think of the four choices, it was the one I kind of least wanted to say. Obviously, 269 has a good place in my heart. So I was sort of mentally rooting for that one. Um, I think Feodor versus Fadoom, in my opinion, was the biggest upset of the four. So, but I think you've chosen a, an interesting choice, and it's going to be interesting to make it clear just why Server versus GSP was such a big deal when it happened.
1: Uh, that I, I knew that was going to win. Uh, the first, I, the second I saw that, and I was like, "Yeah, that's winning," and that has to be up there. Um, but I was also rooting for the Strikeforce one. But it is what it is, you know. Yeah, we can't put the the facts. Yeah, honestly. I have no problem talking about uh gsp it it was great and that card you know there's some i i made i had fun with it at least
0: yeah so that one is in the works right now we hope to get that to you on wednesday uh for now though here on inc live uh thank you very much for tuning into the show my name's been carl bainbridge that's been joe Neal. Joe is going to be back on Sunday where he'll be recapping uh, the Garn vs. Tui Vasa fight card. Could we see another big upset there in the main event with Tai of Vasa potentially fighting for a UFC title? Stay tuned to INC for that. For now though, thank you very much for watching. This is the INC. Bye bye for now.